Hey Builders, welcome to another episode of the People of Growth Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Nate Elliott. Today our guest is Chase Bjornsson. Chase is a visual arts and creative branding expert. He also worked in the music industry for a really long time. He worked with artists like Bon Iver, Mumford & Sons, Diplo, Revolution, and lots of more really, really cool people. We talked about how he broke into music, what he's doing next, and why he's making a change. And it was really, really fun. And I don't want to talk too much about it. Let's just jump right into it. Welcome to the podcast, Chase. How are you doing today? Fantastic. How about yourself? I'm really good. You know, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk to you. And, and we talked to probably about almost a year ago, it seems like. And I'm excited to see what's changed and talk about, about your, your future and all the things that you've been working on since then. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm stoked to talk to you again. Just kind of for context, why don't you tell people who you are and what you're working on? Yeah, uh, my name is Chase Bjornsson. I am currently working on going into the next chapter of my life. As I know for everyone around the world, COVID really shook things up for me. So I'm working on my next chapter, uh, which is involving my creative interests and in, uh, graphic design, film, photography, and travel. Awesome. And I've been following you on, on Instagram for the, a long time now, and I've been watching you build out this van. So why don't you tell everybody how cool your van is and how you've done all that? Totally. Uh, yeah, last year I bought myself a Ram Promaster 2500 cargo van, and I have ever since been remodeling it into my tiny home adventure mobile. The idea of van life has always been super appealing to me. I, I was super interested in the idea of just minimizing life, simplifying, consolidating, putting everything into a comfortable little space that you build, and then bringing that space wherever you want and just kind of living everywhere. Home is where you park it, as they say. The idea is that you sleep in the van and, you know, everything that you need to get by is in the van, but you live wherever you bring the van to. So, like, for instance, right now I'm in Colorado. So when I bought the van a year ago, it was just a cargo van. It was like a delivery van in its past life, so there's nothing in it besides the front two seats. Everything else is just metal, and it was used for freight, I think. So I didn't have anything to gut. It was just an empty canvas to begin with, and I had no experience going into it. So there was a lot of YouTube University a lot of blog research, a lot of mistakes made, a lot of things undone and then redone. So this whole thing has been a massive learning curve, but it's been um, super rewarding at the same time. So it's about 95% done, not quite finished, but it's got custom wood walls, wood ceiling, running water, a farmhouse sink, solar power, incandescent lighting, 120 volt electricity, so I can still charge you know, cameras and laptops and things like that. And a luminous roof rack and side ladder, which is kind of my favorite part. The front two seats are on swivel seats, like captain style, so they can turn around and with those in the bench, I can comfortably host a small group of people. There is a Dometic cooler style fridge that slides out on rails. There is a composting toilet that slides out on rails. There's a closet, uh, cabinets, and the bed is just high enough that you can fit mountain bikes underneath it. It's kind of like a little garage space under there. So yeah, it's pretty cozy. It's really got everything that I need to, to get by and, um, I, I really love it. It's been it's been one of the my favorite parts about the last year or so of my life. And now that it's almost done and I'm actually able to use it, it's it's really rad. So the idea is to take this van all the way down the Pan American Highway to the tip of Patagonia in Chile. I don't know when that's going to happen because of the obvious you know issues with the borders right now and as this as this COVID crisis continues to unfold. So only time will tell, but that's the eventual goal right now. The plan is to take at least a year really take our time with it. My girlfriend Carissa and our dog Roscoe would, would be on the trip as well. 
and we'll just kind of take one country at a time. If we like somewhere, we're going to stay there. If we if we want to move on, we'll move on. It's always been my goal to take a trip like that where timing is not really of the essence and you can just really soak in each place as long as you want to as you go. So that's the goal we're working towards. Sweet. So and you, you just said you're doing this gig with is that with Dis the one with Discovery? Yep. So I'm working on a production crew for Discovery. Unfortunately, that's all I can say right now. But I'm working on a production crew, which has been great because as you know, I was pretty heavy in the music industry. And with this whole with this whole pandemic, music music industry was the uh, first to go and it'll be the last to come back. Yeah, that's been for me, probably one of the, the worst parts, I'm sure for you even worse. But music is the best and concerts are like my favorite thing to do. And now it just doesn't exist yeah. anymore. It's pretty horrible. Totally. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So I really enjoyed hearing your story last time I talked to you about how you basically made a name for yourself within music and how you really built out a really cool career for yourself. So would you mind giving people a your background? Take us from high school to right before the pandemic, because I like the things that you were able to do in that time were incredible to me. And it was so inspiring to hear your story and all the things that you you were able to do and the connections you were able to make. So could you like walk us through that story? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of music, it all started for me when I was 12. I was just a kid at the time. I didn't really know. I didn't really know what was good with, you know, what I wanted to do. I was just kind of a kid, you know, and then my eldest brother worked on the Vans Warp Tour at the time. So he ran like a bag check business that he had started and launched and took it on the tour. And so he thought it'd be cool to bring his little brothers to to the Warp Tour. Uh, at the time, it was stopping through Bozeman, Montana. And we we went, my my second brother and I. So I was just 12 years old walking around with an all-access pass at, at the Vans Warp Tour. And it was it was wild. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So, I mean, I was like. I was on stage for acts like Atmosphere and Anti-Flag and Taking Back Sunday. That's and then awesome. apart from that, I was just walking around like, you know, navigating the backstage world, which is just was so beautifully chaotic. And it just it just exploded my mind. And from that day forward, I was a I was a disciple of punk rock. So I kind of I found my I found what I was into. I found my people. I found my scene. So from that day forward, I started skateboarding. I started playing guitar. Fast forward a couple of years after I'd been to Warped Tour every year in high school, I was playing in bands uh, in okay. Missoula, Montana. And that's kind of where I started getting my booking experience. So I was creating brands around the bands that I was in and, you know, sending those out to as many people as I could and just trying to get gigs. So we started playing some shows in Missoula. Um, and that's really where it all, it's really where it all started for me. Um, I hit college at the University of Montana and I started studying fine arts. And then I later switched to my, my real passions, which was graphic design and video production in the media arts program. I was coasting through that, but I was mostly focused on the social scene, you know, freshly out of the parents' house, partying a lot, organizing a lot of parties, um, getting in trouble, all that fun stuff. And then I made my way into a class called Entertainment Management, which is, it was bizarre to me that it, that even existed at a school like the University of Montana, but yeah. it did. It's basically a program that's put together by what's called the, Mo the Montana Mafia, which is a bunch of old like industry executives who went to the University of Montana at one point and are now all stars in entertainment. Interesting. But I was in that class and I was just like, I just, I realized what I wanted to do. So from that day forward, after my first class, I was sitting in the back of the class, you know, not really, not really like paying that close of attention in any of my classes. But then that class really shook me up. All of a sudden, I was a front row kid. I actually cared about school. I decided that I wanted to launch a business. I decided I wanted to bring the the artist that I was really into at the time, which was 
primarily Seattle hip hop to Montana. And I wanted to start throwing shows as a promoter because I saw, I saw the connection between the business and the music. So I started with a group called the Nomads from Seattle. Cool. I put them up in Missoula. We had a a great show. It was actually, it's funny to look back on because I actually drove to Seattle in two vehicles, picked them up, drove back to Montana, did the show put them up in Montana. Like I had a great time with them and then drove them back to Seattle then back to Montana. It was just crazy. That, that's some commitment right there. Yeah. I, I'm in Spokane and that that's like a five hour drive from here. I can't imagine what yeah. that is from Bozeman. Sheesh. Yeah, it was like eight. It was Missoula at the time. I'm in Bozeman now, but so that, that went really well. And it just, it just started snowballing. The company I started was called Royale Entertainment Company. I quickly paired that up with an apparel line and that, that just started taking off. I started booking a lot of hip hop around the Missoula area. Started expanding to other cities like Bozeman, Billings, even Idaho Falls, Spokane. And it wasn't too long after that that I started getting into the electronic scene. Okay. At the time, I was going to Birmingham and going to these events in, in Europe that were just like really opening my perception to what, what was possible in terms of promoter. The typical stage setup for like hip hop or like a band, you know, is, is the classic like, you know, performers are on stage, a decent light rig, but it's it's a totally different world when you get into like the electronic scene. Oh, yeah. It's a lot, oh, more, yeah. a lot more vibrant in terms of what you bring to the table to make that event interesting. And that really uh, that really inspired me. So we started booking electronic shows and that's where that's where the real success started coming in. We started renting out the Wilma to throw an event called Socotra, which was a festival that that I designed based around a festival that I went to in Amsterdam, which is called Sensation. Uh, it was a big white themed, like 40,000 person event in the Amsterdam soccer arena. I went by myself in 2012 and it just blew my mind. So we put together Socotra in Missoula and at, rented out the old Wilma. Uh, we booked Figure in Mount Eden at the time and did pretty well. Uh, it didn't sell out, but it's, it did better than any other show that we had, we had organized. That, that is really the, that was the most successful thing we had as Royale. So we kept doing that every year. The The most smashing success for that for that event was when we booked Zed's Dead and Unlike Pluto in my senior year of college, um, which sold out in advance. That's split, awesome. Waking up on the day of show and having a show actually sold out like in advance. Oh, yeah. So that was the pinnacle of my entertainment career as a business owner, uh, independent promoter, grassroots organization. The following Socotra, which was my last event with Royale, we hosted Keys and Crates in Minnesota. So we certainly went out with a bang. Keys and Crates is one of my favorite groups in the electronic scene. So I was really happy to wrap with that. Alongside that, I was also doing the University of Montana Productions. So I was doing like event staff and stage crew and then worked my way up to concert coordinator and director. Cool. Through that company, I got to work with artists such as Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Foo Fighters, Pretty Lights, Motorhead, Dirk Bentley, Lots of huge country shows um, and arena shows. It was the company that was doing the largest shows in Montana at the time, which were mostly at the Adams Center, which is a 6,000 capacity basketball arena on campus at the University of Montana. That's awesome. I graduated college, uh, went and traveled for a few months in Southeast Asia, uh, living out of a backpack, and then came back and a job opportunity opened up to join Logjam Presents, which is the biggest promoter around here. Logjam Presents owns multiple music venues. The Top Hat in Missoula, which is 550 capacity. The Wilma in Missoula, which is a historic vaudeville theater, 1500 capacity. The Kettlehouse Amphitheater, which is a 4,250 capacity venue right on the side of the Blackfoot River. 
it manages Ogren Park in Missoula, which is the baseball stadium with a capacity of 14,000. Hosted Mumford & Sons there last year. And then it also operates a venue called the Rialto in Bozeman, which is 490 cap. And it was, and still is, I guess, building a state-of-the-art venue in Bozeman called the Elm, which is going to be the Wilma's sister venue, similar capacity to that 1500 range. The biggest project that Logjam Presents took on, which recently was canceled due to the COVID crisis, was going to be called The Drift. Um, it was going to be a mega structure with hotel and restaurants and a venue that would bring conferences and plays and all kinds of other entertainment that Montana doesn't usually get to town. Like I said, that venue was just completely canceled, at least for the foreseeable future. Through Logjam Presents, I got to work with a super wide and diverse range of artists, uh, everything from C and D lists to A and B lists. Uh, some examples are Bon Iver, Robert Plant, Rufus Dussault, Camp, Diplo, Damian Marley, Cheryl Crow. Uh, we brought Zed's Dead back again. The list is pretty massive. It was definitely the pinnacle of my overall music business career, uh, working for just a much larger company that brings touring acts through multiple nights a week and works with shows with audiences as big as 14,000. It was just a totally different ballpark from my, my previous years in entertainment. Okay. I was an entertainment manager and sustainability coordinator for that company, so I would basically be the guy who, once the show goes down the pipeline and tickets are on sale and it's marketed and, and all that jazz about a month Prior to the event, I touched base with the tour and coordinate all the actual logistics from everything from parking and catering to stage setup to times and crew personnel and restrictions and security, and then schedule all the staff on my end for the venue. What do we need security-wise? What do we need stagehand-wise? And then once the tour gets there on the day of show, I greet them, set up the show. I'm their point of contact all day. At the end of the day, I crunch all the numbers, the ticket sales, expenses, create a settlement negotiate the settlement with them and then pay them and take it all down and see them off at the end of the night. In terms of sustainability efforts, I was tasked with making the venues green. So that's always something I've been really passionate about is just environmentalism. And as you can imagine, the live event industry is extremely wasteful. If you think yeah, about totally. just a thousand people in a venue, those thousand people each have three drinks. That's 3000 cups alone that you're dealing with that are at the time, we're just going straight to the landfill plastic cups, two straws in each one. So I just took a step back from, from my, my role as event manager and just kind of thought about it from a sustainability back or oriented perspective. And the first task was to eliminate the plastic. We just had a insane amounts of plastic and we had just a landfill stream, no recycling, no compost. Those are not that available in Montana, at least uh, certainly at the time. Yeah. Not even that great now, to be honest. The reason I wanted to target plastic is because even if you do recycle plastic, it's not really being recycled. Most of the plastic that's ever been produced is still out there in the world today. It's in the ocean. It's in the ground. It's microplastics. It's in our bodies. It's in the food we eat. It's, it's literally everywhere, and it's a huge problem. Uh, it doesn't really break down. It doesn't really go away. And if we don't figure out something to replace our constant use of single-use plastics, the problem's only going to get worse. It's already destroying our environment. And the planet and our use is just increasing our dependence on single-use plastics is really bad and with an industry that's based around large events large groups of people large amounts of waste it's certainly a, a large contributor to our plastic problem around the world so we implemented recycling first and then it was just the goal was to take all the plastic products from the cups the to-go containers at the restaurant the the 
the food containers, the Kettle House Amphitheater, turn all those into some sort of compostable product. At the time, a company called the Missoula Compost Collection LLC was just getting off the ground. Uh, that was started by a guy named Sean Doty. And his goal was to pick up compost waste from individuals and businesses and bring them to the compost facility. It was a service that just didn't exist at the time in Missoula. We signed on as his first commercial client, and he was a key part of getting those systems in place. We were working really closely with him to figure out how we could get these products to the compost facility from our concerts, which is not really a framework that existed. At least not, there wasn't really any information that was readily available for that. So it was just a ton of trial and error, what could actually compost in our local facility and all that jazz. So we fast forward a few months, we got that all dialed in. And then the last, the last item on my list was the plastic water bottles. Yeah. At just the tours alone for like a amphitheater size show are using like a pallet of those. So mm-hmm. we're burning through hundreds of thousands of plastic water bottles every, every year, not including what we're selling to patrons. There wasn't really good compostable water bottle option out there. There still isn't to my knowledge. So we honed in on aluminum. We worked really closely with a company called Montana Silver Springs and worked on creating a log jam water bottle that was aluminum kind of like the Coors Lights you would see in the store yeah, that had yeah. that Ruan cap. They're a company that was, had just started out in Phillipsburg, Montana, and their whole, their whole mission was to provide clean, locally sourced water in aluminum to eliminate plastic. So at the time, their only client was Yellowstone National Park. We hopped on as their second client, and the rest is history. We eliminated plastic altogether. So in the end, by the time the music industry basically stopped in March, we had eliminated the use of 45,000 plastic water bottles, and we had diverted 300,000 plus pounds of uh, recyclable and compostable waste from the landfill, which when I That's started, incredible. 100% of everything was just going to the landfill. So that was a really sweet takeaway from that job. And then things were, things were going up and up. Logjam was growing, and I was sent to Bozeman, Montana to open up the new state-of-the-art venue called The Elm, which is uh, that 1,500-cap venue I was mentioning. Unfortunately, that was about two months from being open and then the coronavirus hit and it hit the music industry hard. Within within like 48 hours, um, all the shows were canceled that were on our docket. The entire summer amphitheater season was basically put on hold and everyone just kind of kind of sat back and watched this all unfold as everything just kind of crumbled. So so eventually I, I lost my job. So did millions of other live industry workers across the world. Yeah. Like I said, first to go, last to come back is like large gatherings of people. So when you're in that invested in a, a business that's based around large gatherings of people, it's hard to say. Um, oh, super hard to know what's yeah. next. Yeah. At this time, it looks like the realistically tours may pick up again, at least in the United States in 2022. Mm-hmm. What's the most recent yeah. figure I've, I've heard? So yeah, that's kind of where we're at that now. So, so I, I took that time to just kind of shift gears and focus on other, other interests in my life and other passions. I talk to people like you and I hear you condense your story into like a, a five or 10 minutes of, of just saying, oh, this is all the things that I did. And, and it's very like matter of fact, like, yeah, I did this and then I did this and then I did this. And then I put myself in the ears of a listener. And I think if I was listening to this story, I'd be like, he did that and then he did that and then he did that. Like, how did he do that? So you, you're clearly a very like entrepreneurial and driven person who just makes things happen. I mean, most people don't just go to one class and then the next day they're like, yeah, 
I'm going to like start paying attention and then I'm going to start a, a successful like entertainment company and I'm going to book Zed's Dead and I'm going to throw a music festival. And I know that there's a lot of a lot of stuff that happens happens in between. So I guess what was the mindset that allowed you to do those things that I think for a lot of people would seem really out of reach or like almost impossible? Because if I if I'm thinking, OK, I want to throw a music festival. I'm probably going to be like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, how do I even start? So what what about your your mindset allowed you to do those things? I think for me, it was just kind of, I've always had kind of a get up and go mentality. I figure we're only on this planet once. And if you're not going to, a lot of people talk about doing things, but if you're not going to ever try to do those things, then you probably never will. So that's kind of just been my whole, my whole mentality since, since college. Since that day in that class, I really just decided that life is what you make it. And if you don't try and fail often, then you're never going to succeed. So there's a lot of trial and error, a lot of learning on the go, but mostly it's just that underlying determination that if you, if you dream it and you work really hard for it, you will manifest it eventually. It might come with a lot of, a lot of failures, which it certainly has, but in the end, those successes are some of the greatest memories in my whole life. So I think you just try, 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 and just never give up and just, stay focused on what's next and don't let yourself get lazy. Yeah, I like that. I I like that you said you have to be willing to fail because a lot of times I think the thing that stops us is we think, well, what if it doesn't work? I think and I think in a lot of times it's nothing. Like if it doesn't work, then it didn't work and you try the next thing, you know. Like I look at I look at your story that you just told me and it really it started with your brother being entrepreneurial and having that experience where you could go go to Warp Tour because he had has this business that is really cool and then you start a business that's really cool and then you basically go be kind of a like an like an intrapreneur I don't like that word very much it's kind of silly but you're you're I mean you did really cool things at Logjam and the sustainability stuff that you did like that's not I don't think that there's like a real blueprint I mean there isn't because what you did is something that no one else was doing um and so that I mean that's just like you're building on all of these things and now you're doing the the stuff with discovery and I, you have your, um, your Chase Bjornsson creative company that you're working on. So is that just your personality or is there, is there like skills that you've developed that, that allow you to do that? And like, what skills would you tell people to, to focus on if they want to have a career where they're constantly building something incredible? Honestly, I'm a big believer. It's, it sounds silly, but I'm a huge believer in to-do lists and writing things down. I'm just the kind of person who has to write down like whatever my focuses are. So I try and make a daily to-do list and then I try and also refocus my goals into a list. Like, you know, as much as I can, ideally like every week or so, but just keeping things written down and keeping like an action list in play at all times really helps me to stay organized and stay oriented. So at this, these days I have it just on my phone, just in notes, what I'm like, I have long-term goals and I have current goals and then I have my daily to-do list. I think just being really goal oriented and just, putting down your objectives and then working for them is what is what helps the most. But I just, I really do think that it, a lot of it just comes down to thinking about the big picture. What do you want your life to be like and how are you going to get there and how are you not going to get there and how yeah. do you avoid getting yeah. into those ruts? Yeah. I like that a lot. So I'm curious now you, you've booked some really incredible uh, musicians. Now you're working with discovery, which I'm sure for a lot of people sounds like a, like a dream gig. How did you, I mean, how do you think about building those relationships? It seems clear that you're, 
you're good at reaching out to people and you're good at making good first impressions so that people want to work with you. So I guess, how do you think about that? I think it's a, in a lot of industries, including music and, and production, like whether production is film or TV or, or music, I think it really does come down to relationships. So I think manifesting those relationships as much as you possibly can is really important. Like in college, it was about like networking with my mentors and people that could help me succeed. And now it's about reaching out to reaching out to those people to a certain degree, but also just finding new people and just kind of re really just re, rebuilding my um, my orientation and my story towards something else. And then just just talking to people about it. That's how this gig opened up. And now I'm we're hoping that uh, when I say we're I'm talking about my girlfriend, Chris, and I who's who's on the road with me right now. We're hoping to do that Pan Am trip I was telling you about, and we're hoping to spin that to some other interesting people and maybe make some make some bigger projects out of that trip in this yeah. in this pandemic slash post pandemic world. So it's really just all about networking, and you just have to you just have to work really hard to manifest, seek out, and manifest those relationships. Interesting. So people hear me talk about this on the podcast all the time. The idea of networking, I think, for people my age. We, we kind of get it pounded into our head. Like you need a network, you need a network. Like you need to meet people so you can get a job or you need to meet people so you can get mentorship or whatever. And and I felt networking become almost like a dirty word, like a sales word. Like you need to network with people so then you can sell stuff to them or they can give you a job. And to me, that just felt like super transactional and not like something I wanted to be a part of. And then as I got older and I started meeting more people, I was like, oh, networking, that just means making friends. So how yeah. do you separate that idea of like transactional networking to relationship building and how I mean how is that how have you been able to like make friends you know and not just have it be like hi I'm Chase like do you want to work with me on this yeah totally <laughs> and that sometimes I mean it just, it's the set and setting is what it is what it all comes down to is so like what's your mindset and what's the setting so it's it's harder to do it's harder to to break through onto a deeper level in certain environments. Like if you're just walking around a conference and going like table to table to table. Yeah. But if you're able to like, I'll use the conference reference again. If you're able to like take those contacts and then, and then dig deeper. That's, that's my thing is I like to dig deeper. So like it, get past the surface, see like, Hey, I'm doing this and you do this. So like we can work together, but also like, Hey, let's grab a beer later and let's dig into some life stuff, you know, and maybe like, Oh yeah. Maybe we can go like, you just dig deeper, you know, really in the in the case of like where my life's at now I and mean, it's a little harder to do that with covid so oh, super um, hard navigating navigating that landscape is really difficult but i think if it was to just simplify it into into two words it's just dig deeper so how, how can you get those people those new contacts or friends like you said into settings where they're more laid back and they're not just like all suited up at, at the the conference table you know, get them on a more chill environment and like talk about some other life stuff and actually hit it off on, on other levels that are not restricted to business or, or what you're, you know, the surface level of what you're trying to do. Digging deeper, I think is how I've made my, my longest lasting connections. And yeah, I would, I, I think just digging deeper is, is the way to go. If you're trying to actually long lasting networking experience that, that really lasts past the business card exchange. Yeah, I mean, people don't want to, people want to work with their friends. They don't want to work with some guy that they met at a convention that was like, hi, do you want to hear about my pitch? Like, they don't care about that. What they want is they want to build a friendship. They want to have somebody they can trust, that they like, that they know, like, on a level outside of work, because then every time you talk to them, it's fun for them or it's enjoyable. So I really appreciate that. Totally. So I would just like to talk a little bit about 
Montana and all the incredible pictures I've been watching you post over the last year and just kind of just green with jealous envy. Um, and, and just tell me like how you've been able to make the most of, of living in such a beautiful place and why Montana is so great. And just, just tell me about that because for those that, that don't follow Chase, you need to go on Instagram at Chase Bjornsson. I'll link it in the show notes, but you need to go follow him because he's like the pictures that he posts are incredible and his girlfriend's pictures are incredible as well. So go follow them and you'll be like, oh, this is what Nate's talking about. But why don't you tell me a little bit about Montana and all the stuff that you've been able to do over the last year or so? Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I've lived in Montana for pretty much all my life. I was born in Seattle, but I didn't live there for a year. I've been here ever since then. You know, outside of my business interests and music industry, I'm I'm an avid outdoorsman and I love I love to travel and I love to see the world. Montana, I decided a long time ago that Montana is where I will. I will always keep my roots, even though I want to take these, you know, I want to travel for ideally for the next few years and make some really interesting projects out of that. But I'll always come back to Montana just because the, the people here and the, the landscapes and just, just the way of life is like, it's really something else. It's really unlike anywhere else that I go, especially like, you know, in the States or, or even beyond that. It's just a very beautiful place, extremely scenic, full of beautiful people. And uh, I'm happy here. And now that I have this van, tiny house, I'm really able to, to to take my my quote home unquote anywhere I want. So that's taken that's taken us so deep into the mountains, all over the state. Especially since COVID hit, we have this like quarantine mobile, and we're able to explore even deeper. Montana is the fourth largest state in the U.S. and the eighth least populous. So lots of land here, not a lot of people, lots of things to see, and it's it's crazy. I've lived here for pretty much my entire life, and there's I'm still experiencing new things all the time. Yeah, it's incredible. I drive through Montana a few times a year when I'm going down to Utah or Arizona or something like that. And just I only I've only ever really driven through half of half of Montana. And it's just like the most it it reminds me of, of the time I spent in Texas with just wide open spaces, except there's mountains at the end of it, which is way better than just flat. And it's just beautiful. And there's so much different, like so much different. um landscape and i want to spend a ton of time in montana over the rest of my life because it, it you're right it is so pretty and there's so much there and so few people and if that's the thing that you're you're interested in montana is a great place to be so i appreciate that yeah absolutely well we are running out of time here so i would love to just hear how people can support you if they're interested in following you in your story, uh, where can they find you? And then if maybe they're, they're thinking, Hey, maybe this chase guy knows something about design, or maybe he can help me with, with my company or something like that. Where can they find you and, and all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly follow along with, with anything that I'm doing, um, on my Instagram or my website, like you mentioned, that's at Chase Bjornsson. Bjornsson is an Icelandic last name, so it's very difficult to spell. So it's C-H-A-S-E-B-J-O-R. N-S-O-N. And my website is just chasebjornsoncreative.com. I am offering services in consulting, design, photo, video, pretty much anything creative and anything entrepreneurial uh, related. I would I'd love to help other people get their ideas off the ground and um, I would love to work with you all. So feel free to follow along or hit me up anytime. Yeah. And Chase is, if you go look at his Instagram, it's like, oh yeah, like this guy knows what he's doing. 
So he's he's awesome. He's really nice, really friendly, and I definitely recommend reaching out to him if if you think there could be a fit. Anyway, I think that's all all for today. So thank you so much, Chase, for joining us, and we'll have to have you on after you finish the great Pan American road trip. Yeah, maybe we can touch base while I'm on it. Once I get to some coffee shop Wi-Fi somewhere. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll have to do that. Cool, man. Well, thank you. Yep. Take care. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Go and give Chase a follow on Instagram. He is at Chase Bjornsson, C-H-A-S-E-B-J-O-R-N-S-O-N. You can find him online at chasebjornssoncreative.com. So go check that out. He's doing some really cool things, and um, he's a really cool person that would be awesome for you to work with, I'm sure. So go support him. If you want to support the podcast, subscribe, give us a review. If you want some extra perks, go to patreon.com slash life. Lots of cool stuff on there. would love to have you. And until next time, keep building.